was an art about LSD. And I just thought, gee, what, what, a, what a great idea. Private worlds. I knew about that already. I mean, I was quite, quite ready to admit that there were private worlds. Um, I was reading Time Out of Joint, which I wrote in the 50s, which was, I mean, I know LSD now had been, uh, Hoffman had found it, working at Sandoz, he had found it, but uh, I had never heard of it, of course, then. And I was reading Time Out of Joint, and the guy walked up to the lemonade stand, you know, at the park, and it turned into a slip of paper marked soft drink stand. And he puts the slip of paper in his pocket. I thought, Far fucking out! Dickheads, like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. At least we think it's San Diego, but it could be Wyoming constructed just to create a space for us to do this fucking podcast. But we're here for you, your personal dickheads. I'm David Agronoff. I'm Anthony Trevino. And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. All right, we did um, invite a guest dickhead to be here tonight, but she couldn't make it at the last minute, so sorry if you were looking forward to having Renee pick up on the podcast. We will have her on at some point. We're just as bummed as you are. Yes. So, do we want to start off with uh, PKD news? Yeah, David, what's uh, what's new with PKD? Well, there's... Posthumously. Some... Yeah. Well, there's some really cool PKD news this uh, month. It was announced just a couple weeks ago that Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep is going to be the one city, one book selection for this year for Chicago. That means that once the book was selected, this is the 29th book selected for the one city, one book for Chicago. I'm going to ask you to pause for a second. What is one city, one book? Well, basically what it is is the libraries are all promoting this one book to be read for the whole year. They want everyone in the city to read this book together. This is the 29th one. The first one was To Kill a Mockingbird. And so it's a pretty big deal that Philip K. Dick's um, seminal work, Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep, has been picked to be the book, the one city, one book. And all of the 80 libraries in Chicago will be offering like events and programs centered around the book as they do every year. And That's it ties super in, cool. It yeah. ties in nicely with the book we're doing today because of the one planet people. You're right. Well, and so the the neat thing about this is, is it's it's another like way that that PKD is getting massive respect. Um, now he was born in Chicago, so that's kind of one tangential connection to it. But you can read about it on the San Diego or the Chicago Tribune website, and we we will link on our Twitter the um, link to the article. But I think that's really cool that they're doing this in Chicago. Yeah, that's awesome. Take a hint, San Diego, and do something cool like that for once. Yeah, we could do all kinds of events for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and yes, this is a big deal. It's connected to Blade Runner. I'm sure they'll do screenings at the library of Blade Runner and all that and, and some of the adaptations into, uh, 
into uh oh my god that bug is <laughs> really loud i'm sorry i lost <laughs> that bug <laughs> thanks for pointing that out <laughs> anyway david distracted by a cricket <laughs> So, yeah, one city, one book. Uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? That's pretty cool. And our next uh, item is dick-like suggestions. Anthony, did you want to make a dick-like suggestion or something else? Yeah, or I'm going to go with or something else today, David, um, yeah. just because I don't – I haven't seen anything recently since our last – no, since we did this last time. But I did recently see Mandy um, directed by uh, – I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck up the name every time. Panos Cosmatos. That's a hard name. Yeah. I or Panos Cosmatos. I I suck at names. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Anyway, the movie's fucking phenomenal. Um, starring Nicolas Cage, and it is the most dreamlike, surreal revenge film I've ever seen. I've never been more satisfied leaving a movie. The soundtrack is a blend of killer synth and grungy like crunchy doom metal which nice. pairs really nicely with all the visuals and it's what one interesting thing to point out is that give if you see the movie and you have the chance to see it on the big screen take that chance over seeing it like on your laptop or at home because it's definitely a film that i think is made to be seen in a theater um do you guys know what the story's about um well th- i just want to point out too that it yes. made by- revenge yeah <laughs> I um I know some things about it, but one of the reasons why we're bringing it up is that he was actually one of our suggestions for uh, directing the Cosmic Puppets. And David said I needed a more dick-like excuse to recommend the movie. Um, so that that's 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 no, what not, we're going with. <laughs> that, that, that's what we're doing. I think the sur- um, the surreal dreamlike quality of it is is pretty dick-like in in a sense too. It is the, the most. It's so satisfying, so beautifully shot, so different and uncomfortable when it's supposed to be and beautiful at times when maybe it shouldn't be, but it still is. I loved Mandy. It is my favorite film of the year, which kicked Hereditary down to the second spot. And um, I I highly recommend it. Yeah, and uh, Larry and I can give you an opinion on that pretty soon because we're going to be watching it together. Give it time because one of the complaints I keep hearing is, bro, it's so slow. But it's not the first half. Of I don't the movie, mind slow. A lot of people do. I mean, that's one thing you constantly make fun of me about. Right? Oh, yeah. we're going to talk about slow starting stories today. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy, right. are we? <laughs> um, and the 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 second half of the film, it's all built up for the first half of the film. The second half of the film is sixty minutes more of payoff. And yeah, we got it. Cool. Hey, don't cut me off. Yeah, I'm that was tired great. Of, I'm tired of being cut off. It's a great film. Go see it. All right, so you're done. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Dicks. Uh, Larry, you don't have a dick-like suggestion this week. Yeah, no, what I, a fucking surprise. I got nothing. You got nothing. All right, uh, so Larry doesn't care if you find a dick-like suggestion this week. My sort of dick-like suggestion, not super close, but is a science fiction novel called The Freeze Frame Revolution by Peter Watts. He's a Canadian scientist who writes uh, science fiction, and The Freeze Frame Revolution is a novella, about 189 pages, and it is one of the most epic stories in the short amount of pages you're ever going to read. It takes place over 66 million years, wow. the narrative. 
And it's about a generation seed ship that's out putting um, giant wormholes around the galaxy for like like wormhole hyperdrive lanes. And they've been going on the mission for 60 million years, and the AI just wakes up the humans every thousand years to do little jobs. And after 60,000 years, they've ne- or 65 million years, they've still never heard from Earth, and their mission seems to never end, and they decide to revolt, have a mutiny against the AI. It is very good. It is my science fiction read of the year so far. It's from Tachyon Publications, and I highly recommend The Freeze Frame Revolution by Peter Watts. So that's my dick-like suggestion. Cool. So our book today is 1959's Time Out of Joint by Philip K. Dick. So let's get into Time Out of Joint, which was published in 1959. Okay. Larry. Hey, David, what was going on in 1959? Thank Boom! You. Boom! I Thank did you. it! I got you! Fuck you! Woo! Wow. Damn. That was quite a reaction. Yeah, Larry, way to miss your line. Okay, what was It's happening? okay, I got it. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, 1959, the year this book I was- I kind of like bro, Anthony. <laughs> he makes an appearance once you, when, when you give him tea. <laughs> Uh, 1959, uh, surprisingly, was the year that Alaska and Hawaii became states, which I did not realize it was that recently. Castro also took over Cuba, and the Mercury astronauts were introduced. And another interesting thing that happened in 1959 that I didn't realize is that Russia sent a probe to the moon that crashed in the moon. So they sent it there. It just, I don't think they knew how to stop it. Uh, well, at least it got there. Yeah, it got there. So, yeah, that's what was going on in 1959. Cool. All right. So, you guys are awfully quiet tonight. I'm awfully quiet. I just, I just straight, yeah, yeah, I just, just straight college broed Larry. Yeah. That's true. All right. I just, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> time out of joint. Um, this is considered one of PKD's earliest classics i think this was much like eye in the sky was considered a breakout book for um philip k dick and one of the most interesting things about the publication history of time out of joint which we're gonna let's start talking about the writing and publication history is that time out of joint was the first non-ace published book for philip k dick um who, who published it well, I'll be getting there in a second. Um, Ooh, the tension mounts. Yes. <laughs> it was written in January 1958. So it was all uh, much like I and this guy is written very quickly, all within a month. That um, continues to blow my mind. That he's writing, that these, he's, books. That he's writing these, these books, especially the last two, Time Out of Joint and uh, I in the Sky. Yeah. I think my head would crack open and explode. If well, that's were... because you haven't done enough crank in your life. Well, maybe if someone would give me some crank, Larry, I could crank out more books. Right. Huh? You get it? You see what I did? Yeah. There? Make sure you have the uh, rim shot there ready. Well, I did, wah, wah. I did a, a bunch of coke one night uh-huh. when I was in my teens. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a, I think it was like a 25 page story. Mm-hmm. 
in that in that night. Did it make by sense? Hand. Oh yeah, All yeah. Right. It's actually a pretty good story. Cocaine stories with Langhorn J. Tweed. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I'm assuming that the drugs had something to do with his speed here. You know, in writing the book, but also the manuscript arrived April seventh, nineteen fifty eight. So he between January and April he fixed up the manuscript, maybe sent off a second version. At um, least a second version. Yeah. And he sent it to Ace Books and Don Wolheim, who we've talked about many times here, said that they would accept it, but he wanted a rewrite. Um, he objected to the soft drink stand scene, which we're going to talk about later when really? we get to the book. Yeah, that he really wanted that to, to go. But then before Dick could respond to Ace's suggestions, the hardcover publisher Lippincott contacted the Scott Meredith, Scott Meredith at his agency and said that they were wanting to start a science fiction line and that they were accepting time out of joint. And they didn't require any changes. They were taking it as is, and his fee was $750. Wow. That barely covers my rent now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was 1959. Keep that in mind. But nonetheless... What it, would that be now? Real quick. Real quick. <laughs> I don't know. Like a grand? No, no. It would be way more than that. Yeah, I'm not good at this. Yeah, no. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know inflation rates. Right. So time out of joint. Um, basically, he had two offers. He had the offer from Ace, but they wanted to make the change. But I think they were really excited to get the hardcover acceptance for Lippincott. And Lippincott promoted it as um, a novel of menace. <laughs> nice. Uh, but they also sold an abridged and serialized version to the British science fiction magazine New Worlds. So it appeared over three issues of New Worlds in December 1959 and January in January, February. Okay, so... I'll try to find covers of those. Yeah. Magazines. Yeah, and so it got serialized in kind of a shorter version there. So there's two versions that were out there. Um, the title is a reference to Hamlet, apparently. The, okay. Oh, I can't wait for this. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. <laughs> I will if you I want will. me to. I'll, I'll, I'll even act it. <clears throat> the, can I? You ready? Yeah, yeah, go. The time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite. That ever I was born to set it right. Oh, You're welcome wow. for that that little bit of a. Uh, that was theme. terrible. Oh, do you do it? Okay, go, Larry. <laughs> what? I'm I'm supposed to do it from memory? <laughs> no, you have you don't you don't have the notes in front of you? <laughs> no, of course not. All I right. don't read the notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very apparent. <laughs> Are you kidding me? All right, so I would say time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite <laughs> that ever I was born to set it right. <laughs> Are we going to have a Hamlet <laughs> off? Ooh, that's our Hamlet off for uh, this episode. Yeah, that was so, good. That was good, guys. Yeah, exactly. Your so, training really shows. <laughs> so I'm a secret thespian. You didn't know that? Uh, I know that's not true. <laughs> so I think one of the major things is, and we've talked about this before, as far as the publication history, is that we were worried – that PKD was getting pushed around a little bit too much by the editors and that it was affecting the books, especially in Eye in the Sky, that yeah. there was some really negative things here. And 
Um, in this sense, he had the chance to avoid Ace making him cut out a pivotal scene from the book by going with a different publisher. So I think that's a really important step for PKD, not only to step away from Ace for a little bit and to go to another publisher, but also to um, avoid having to... Yeah, to uh, get that artistic freedom that he lacked. And in this sense, he also got the title that he wanted um, because who knows what um, Ace would have wanted well, to change the title to. Luckily, this is a good that. title and not a... Yeah, it's a pretty solid not title. Not a shit title like a lot yeah. of his other ones. And it serves a uh, narrative purpose because it's very much a, a red herring in the story as well. Yeah. Um, so what did uh, PKD say about this book? Well, I have a quote right here. It's a um, question and answer from David. I'm already falling asleep. <laughs> well, you guys can talk more if you want to. Let, let we just me... did. Okay. Remember? I'm just waiting for you to lull me to, to slumber with this four-paragraph quote. Well, we can break it up if you want to. No, just read it. There's a scene in the book where the protagonist goes into the bathroom, reaches in the dark for a pull cord, and suddenly realizes there's no cord. There's a switch on the wall, and he can't remember when he had ever had a bathroom when there was a cord hanging down. Now, that actually happened to me, but it co- it it was what caused me to write the book. It reminded me that Van Vogt had dealt with the artificial memory as occurs in the world of Null A, where a person has false memories implanted. A lot of what I wrote, which looks like the result of taking acid, is really the result of taking Van Vogt seriously. I'm probably going to cut all that. Okay. Do you... So, and then... See... Larry, you are fucking this up. Yeah. So I had this other... (laughs) I love sassy Larry. (laughs) All right, so PKD had some other things to say about Time Out of Joint. He said, Now that was a real perilous gamble on my part to write because there was no chance that Don Wolheim was going to buy Time Out of Joint. Of course, he was wrong about that. That meant I could not possibly sell it as a science fiction novel. It was bought by Lippincott as a, quote, novel of menace. I only got 750 bucks for it. It was a really risky thing to do. But there again, we are dealing with fake reality, and I had become obsessed with the idea of fake reality. I was just fascinated with the idea. So that's a pivotal It's bo- true. It's true. Yeah. So that's a pivotal book in, my, in terms of my career. It was my first hardcover sale, and it was the first novel in which the entire world is fake. You find yourself in it when you pick up the book and turn to page one. The world that you are reading does not exist. And that was essentially the premise and the entire corpus of writing, really. I would say that that's a theme in a lot of his books moving forward. Yeah. So, and I think for him, the idea that all of Time Out of Joint, like the entire world being fake, was a huge part of his motivation of telling this particular story. I think he wanted to tell a story that, in the sense, like none of it was real. At least not for the first 200 pages or so. And right. uh, so then you get a definition of deja vu and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's there's I mean, there's lots of quotes where he was talking about this book. So obviously it was very important to him. He said, and yeah, Don. Wol- yeah. Don Wolheim read that it got submitted to Ace by mistake. He didn't he didn't think Ace was going to buy it. So he didn't even mean to submit it there. And Wolheim, I've never read such a long, angry letter from an editor in my life. He was incredibly threatened by the novel. 
He saw everything that he construed as science fiction going down the tubes with that novel, with what that novel did. If it ever got into print, which he doubted it ever would, he said the only thing salvageable was the last chapter <laughs> where, where there was – That the, doesn't make sense though because when you remove the last – if you remove everything before the last chapter, then the last chapter doesn't have any meaning. Well, right. And then he says, and I should build back from the last chapter and the style was wrong because it was essentially pedestrian, he said. So – Basically, yeah. I think Ton Wilhelm was like, you know, that war on the moon stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. More and, moon wars, please. Yeah, more moon wars. And so um, I'm pretty glad that uh, it didn't get published by Ace at yeah, this that, point. That, this was a really good book, I thought. And if it had gone to Ace, it would be – it would not be this book. That's for sure. Right, right. So I think what we can – take away from the actual writing of this book is that PKD was kind of coming into his own here that he, you know, it's funny because like both Anthony and I found ourselves being very bored by this book at first. I don't know how you felt, Larry. I, I, I loved it. Okay. All the way through. So we, we both, Anthony and I at least were kind of bored in the beginning and actually we were really bored in the beginning. And I think I that- would not stop complaining in our thread on our Facebook yeah, Messenger right. thread about how <laughs> fucking bored I was. And then and, it got and better. I, I, yeah. I read the first chapter like last month sometime and I really liked the first chapter. So when Anthony was complaining about it to myself, I was saying, oh, I can't wait to argue with Anthony about this book. <laughs> I hope he hates it. Well, you'll have to keep on listening to this episode, Larry, to find out if I hate it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although I want to do... I don't have when, to listen to the episode. There's but. a couple of new things I want to do that I'm going to spring on you guys at the last minute. Okay, but before, let's just keep on the theme of the writing of this book. I think... Well, we're talking about the publication history, not the writing of it. Okay. Get your shit straight. <laughs> we're talking about the writing and publication history. That's the subject. Eh, so far, it's mostly been publication history, but go ahead. Okay, oh. so the writing of this book... <laughs> I think PKD was in the, in the sense, like, as we, as I kind of, he's, he kind of hinted to is that this was the entirely fake reality. And I think that you really got to see him building narrative seeds in a way that we really hadn't seen before, except for maybe a little bit nine in the sky. Yeah. But in a totally different way. And I think that this shows really impressive plotting and structure in a way that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, yeah I we, would agree we, with that. We've seen the fruition of, of the attempts he made before. You know, right. all the all the mistakes that he made in Jones and how it sort of started to come together in what? Eye in the Sky. Yeah, Eye in the Sky is where we saw, we saw this first kind of coming together. But right, this- because in the earlier books you're seeing him kind of struggle with connecting all these disparate narratives and here he's weaving all these narratives into a single plot yeah which is really impressive and everything really builds upon itself in this story and i think in a sense and i said this to anthony when we were talking about it last week on our way to go see the predator um i just want which you should wait for netflix to see (laughs) shout out to shane black even if we just said to go see his movie on Netflix. That's okay. Boo, we'll, always Netflix. Have the, we'll always have the nice guys. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And which... Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And so, Predator. Yeah. So here's the thing. And uh, Monster Squad. <laughs> mm. so, eh. Eh. so 
Well, well, we will always have it. But what I really appreciated about this is that, it, you know, what we were kind of talking about is that there are all these little elements and things in Time Out of Joint that almost make this book a better read the second time when you know what's when you know what's going to what's going to happen. Yeah, I knew it. I knew what the reveal was. Yeah. yeah, it was spoiled for me in the Philip K. Dick on film book by Greg Rickman. Oh, okay. Which, if anyone knows Greg Rickman, let him know. I'm looking for him to interview him for this podcast. And we should say, if it, we, we pretty much are always going to spoil the book anyways, so... But if you do pick up PKD on film, be warned. If you haven't read everything in Dick's canon... It, it There's spoiled. a lot of spoilers for the books in that book. Yeah, um, which is why I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I would just I'm keep a, it on the shelf for a I'm little while. I'm going to keep it on the shelf for a while. So, um, yeah, so Time Out of Joint, I think, is really interesting because I think it's – the of all the books that we've read so far, maybe Eye in the Sky, but there's definitely – Oh, I want to go back and see how he constructed this because it's actually constructed really, really well. Knowing right. the reveal at the end in – Paying attention, to everything along the way, I would say it's a it it would it's a different experience. Yeah, and it also helped me stay invested because Lord was I bored. Well, right, and for <laughs> me, um, the reveal and the kind of twist of the story actually got me because, as you know, I kind of mentioned already before that that the title "Time on a Join" itself is is um, misdirection, mm-hmm. and 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 I think I kept looking for ways that like you know, time, space time was kind of shifting around. Right. Um, so, Anthony, you wanted to spring something on us about the publication history? <clears throat> I, I, Not the publication history. This is just, it's it's funny to me because when you get a book like this that we, we can all kind of agree early on is, is Dick really showing strengths that we've watched him work. Like, we, we were now seeing muscle we've been watching him build, right? Right. You know, in the previous books. But the internet doesn't feel the same as us, you guys. Really? And, well, I would say 10% of the internet doesn't feel the same as us, you guys. And is that I, an I exact just, number? No. It's my made-up <laughs> bullshit number. I just, this is my new thing, is reading bad reviews for books I enjoyed. Oh, nice. So, on Amazon, one star from T. Walker, subject line, ugh. This was one of the worst books I have ever read. Unfortunately, I thought I was ordering Time Out of Joint by Dor- by Dorothea Sheffer Vanson. Big mistake. <laughs> and th- this Oops. this one is a little bit more. It's a little bit longer. Just give me a second. I'm, now I want to read the other Time Out of Joint. <laughs> this one is by J.R. Dunn, September nineteenth, two thousand three. J.R. Dunn. <laughs> Time out. Period. Um. This is Dick's most overrated single novel. PD, PDK wrote a lot of stuff. PDK? Yep, if that's it. PDK wrote a lot of stuff for a grand on the barrel head to pay the rent, or alimony, and Time Out of Joint is one of them. Note that some humorist at Amazon has paired this one with the simulacra, be forewarned. Time Out of Joint impresses the intelligentsia due to the fact that they that think it's, the, but it's yeah. about the Cold War. Well, it is and it isn't. Granted that anything written in the immediate post-Sputnik epoch is going to be drenched in the quivering fear of the period. 
But the basic premise here is drawn from World War II, the special talent section of the OSS, which recruited everything from safecrackers to physics to aid espionage missions. As for Raggle Gum's ex- existential predicament, this was universal for Dick, not tied to any particular historical moment, as any examination of his novels of the next 15 years clearly reveals. And it goes on oh and God. on and on. That's with a lot of your, time to spend on a bad review. I mean, I get so, the impression. So he didn't like it? I don't know. He says at the end, in the final paragraph, you can do better. Dick produced good ones even this early. The world Jones made in Eye in the Sky in particular. I would disagree that the former is better than, than Time yeah. Out of Joint. <clears throat> this, Just from a structural standpoint, it's not even close. This last is his earliest full-length essay into reality shifts in one that puts Time yeah. Out of Joint in the shade. For the truly weird PDK... That everyone swears by? See anything from the mid-60s to 70s. You'd be well advised to leave three stigmata for last. No question that PDK was the American Borgias. Of course. PDK? Borgias didn't leave a trail of time out of joints in his canon, but then he had a day job. First of all, I don't know who Philip Dick K is. (laughs) (laughs) Philip Dick Kindred? Yeah. Uh, But I just felt... The urge to to share that because I think it's interesting when people we we all read this a different way than this person, right? Yeah, very much. We all so. read it differently from each other. Which yeah, is but one of the I feel like there's a general consensus going on here about it, regardless. All, yeah, I think we all liked it in the end. Yeah, that's my new segment. Anthony reads bad reviews on Amazon. Nice, I like it. <laughs> I, I like it too. Um, please uh, tweet us <laughs> to let us know if you like it too. I think. Yeah, it's weird to hear people dislike it. There's no way this is that World Jones made is a better novel than than yeah. this one. Um, and I can't tell if he, him saying leave three, three stigmata for last is a uh, endorsement of three stigmata or saying yeah. it's not good. I think no, he's saying I think read it last because read it last it's the best. It's really good. Yeah, I will say it's my favorite Dick book so far. It's my favorite too. But you know, um, Time Out of Joint and Eye in the Sky are are. Because I've read them more recently, I think are 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 shooting up there for me, and and um, it, it's I almost don't know if I like Time Out of Joint or Eye in the Sky better. Really, honestly, they're very right. clo- they're very yeah. cl- close for me. Uh, but it, I will say that Dick was very proud of the review that he got in the January 1960 issue of Astounding, and it said that. Uh, jacketed as a novel of menace, which it is, it also happens to be good, hard sell science fiction handled with consummate skill so that an unsuspecting mystery reader may find himself trapped before he realizes he is reading that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, minus the sexist language, I think that's pretty true. There's a little more than just sexist language in I, this book. I meant the review. But we'll get but, into it. Yeah. So um, I think we're getting close to uh, Larry's story breakdown. Jesus. All right, Larry. Can you uh, – I think it's time for a little bit of a, a what, David? It's story breakdown. Ding. Double bass. Story breakdown. Boy, that's obnoxious. All right, Larry. Um. What is this one again? Yeah, time out of joint. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we start with the brother-in-law, who's a grocer, and that's uh, exciting. And then we meet the wife, 
who's uh, likes cars, kind of, and the son who likes cars, kind of, and then we meet uh, uh, Raggle Rock, and he's uh, it's not Fraggle Rock, it's Raggle Gum. Yeah, yeah, we meet that guy, and uh, he does uh, drinking, and he sits around and he does a newspaper quiz for a living. So, where are the little green men? More power to him. It's where will the little green man be next, David? Yes. Okay, sorry. Where yeah. are the little green? It's, it's a really, really intense contest that we know absolutely nothing about and never find out anything about. Other than there's some kind of grid and there are trivia questions that don't mean shit. And then there's the neighbors and they are uh, the blacks, but they are they are clearly very white. <laughs> uh there's That's the, very true. There's yeah. the husband who's kind of a an up-and-coming businessman and super secret agent. J- John General. Q. Businessman? Yeah, John Q. Businessman, a.k.a. General of Everything or whatever he is. <laughs> and then and then there's the little cutie patootie. Junie. Uh, Junie Black, who uh, Raggle has a thing for, but he doesn't know why. He doesn't really have a thing for her, but he does pretty much – he wants to bang her and then leave her, but he doesn't know how to reconcile that in his mind. So he says, "It must be love." Sometimes. So he, I don't, I don't know what happens next. <laughs> There's, oh right, he takes he takes Junie to the park and then he makes a pass at her and she's like, "No, I can't. My husband, I I, I can't do that. My husband will be upset." And then he and, tries. Tries to order a beer at the uh, at the at the ice cream stand <laughs> at the little league. <laughs> he goes, and that made me love Raggle because any guy that's like, I'm gonna go see if the ice cream stand has beer, <laughs> is my kind of guy. So it's almost like Bukowski wrote this for the first half, and then he so he goes, and what happens to the ice cream stand? It's all the concessions disappear and it turns into a piece of paper that says ice cream stand. And so he picks up the piece of paper, says, wow, that was fucked up. And then he puts it in his pocket with the other pieces of paper where that same fucked up thing happened. And so then there's stuff that, you know, it's like get to know the family. It gets weird, like paranoia. There's the light switch deal. And then the light switch. And then there's the Junie's like, yeah, I once stepped up a thing, but I didn't really step up it. And it was weird because the step wasn't there, but it should have been there and blah, blah, blah. And then so (laughs) like this is how it goes for a while. And then we meet the neighbor at the end of the block, Mrs. Anyone? Uh, I believe it's Keidelbein. Keitelbean? Keitelbean? She's the one that runs Keitelbean? the... She runs the contest. Keitelbean. Keitelbean. Keitelbean runs the so uh, she, newspaper contest. No. No. She runs what the Civil Defense talking? Volunteer Program. <laughs> yes. Oh, she? She yes. runs the Civil Defense uh, Teaching the, Program. The, yeah, learning the, Program. Right. For the for neighborhood. For the government. Well, but in the neighborhood. Well, she... Yeah. So she's one of those people that says, we need to be prepared for nuclear war... Hey, Raggle, you were in the military. You should tell us all your great stories. And Raggle's like, They fetishize his time in the military. It's dude, weird. I was on an island with one other dude. And, <laughs> and we drank warm beer. And we talked about the weather. 
So I don't really have stories. And she and her kid are like, yeah, but you can make shit up. We don't care. Just come in. People will be like, look, that guy that's winning all the all the money from the the newspaper quiz deal. Yeah, they're like, you just have to he's, come in and be interesting. He's, he's famous. Andy was in the military. Huh? And so he's like, yeah, sure. All right, whatever. <laughs> and you know, Larry, Raggle kind of reminds me of you. Yeah, that's why I like him, I think. <laughs> and so then some other shit happens. Raggle's like, I got to get out of town and find out if this airfield is real and that they're launching alien ships or landing alien ships. He also does that awesome trick at the grocery store where he tells everybody to run at the same time. Well, that's Vic. That's the brother. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, they're we, all real salty about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was pretty on? funny. And, uh, anyway, so so he tries to get out of town. He runs into uh, what's her name and her son after he crashes the truck and all that business. It's uh, it's actually Kessel. Kessel it's, it's like Kesselman. Kessel Stein or something. Uh, yeah, Kesselman. And she looks and acts a lot like the other chick. The the down the block. Um, wartime crazy woman and so he's like wow that's weird they're very similar her and her son are very similar but not the same uh maybe that's a thing that i should care about and then he's like well i should check this place out and he looks around the house and he finds out they're part of the scam there's this paranoia thing he's got going on and then like he's he he locks them in a room they cut their way out he's looking around he finds time magazine with his picture on it. Man which is, of the year. Is that not everyone's dream to be person of the year? Like on Time Magazine? I'm person of the year every day in my own head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have a couple of Time Magazines I've made with your picture on it. Yeah. And so he finds okay, this magazine. It's got weird. And, and he's like, oh, I was man of the year. This is awesome. In 1998. Or that's why everybody knows me. No, 94, I think he was man of the year. He thought it was just one. And so he contest. thought he was the center of the universe. Turns out he's the center of the goddamn universe. So then he these guys come and they gas him. He goes back to town and he he like doesn't remember shit. Goes back to his business, goes to do the thing with the uh what are they called? The bomb squad or the Civil Defense. Civil Defense. So he goes back to the so, civil kind of like the bomb squad. Yeah, he goes to the civil <laughs> defense lady. Her and her kid have a model of a factory, and he's like, "I know that fucking factory. I've been there." And then, so he's like, "I got to get out of town again." So he goes to his brother-in-law Vic, who's also having like weird shit happen. He yeah. he performed that experiment that David talked about, mm-hmm. and he had a that he was the one with the light switch. Remember? So like they go, "Let's get out of town," and so they they. Steal a truck, get out of town. Uh, the next door neighbor, Black, he's like, this is fucked up. My job's on the line. And then Junie Black's like, are you two fucking talking to the uh, her husband and the next door wife, Vic's wife, Raggle's sister, whatever her name is. And shit, this is very convoluted. <laughs> you don't say. But anyway, so he says, no, I'm not fucking her. I'm over here because I want to see if Raggle comes back because if he doesn't, we're all fucking screwed because of of reasons. You don't worry your pretty little head about it. It is very much a because reasons moment. And you, wife of Vic, sister of Raggle, 
shut up. I'm staying in the living room. And they're all like, oh, okay, whatever. Sister of Ra- that sounds like... Sister of Raggle. Sounds like Klingons right there. That's <laughs> you're explaining it. The and House meanwhile, of Martok. In the meantime, Vic and Raggle are out on the road having a great time partying. They're eating ham and cheese sandwiches, <laughs> hanging out with uh, like little little urchins that talk weird. <laughs> and uh, Moon, uh, Post-apocalyptic jive talk. Yeah, they're doing post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic jive talk, and they barely understand each other. But we should, you neck, should, they become the necktie guys, and they're like, "We're necktie guys now." Cool. Because then, when they get out of the town, there's like no, they can't find anything. Thank God you're talking right now. All right, I think you're missing the post-apocalyptic thing. Yeah, yeah well, there is no post-apocalyptic. Well, there's there's apocalyptic ish shit happening because there's a, a i was getting to the fucking war let okay. the man go david okay all right so they're like oh man this all sucks and so then the landlady comes they they talk to the landlady and she's like yeah there's this war that's been going on for a long time and this raggle dude that everybody likes for some reason he's dead he fucking committed suicide or some shit we don't even care about him anymore because no one believes he exists and, and Raggle's like, dude, that's that's weird, but cool. We gotta go. Me. So they leave and they go to the drugstore, which is of course where you go when you're on the road and on the run. So they go to the drugstore, and Mrs. Kettlebottom is there, and <laughs> she's like, "Hey, you're you're with the the lunar guys now," and they're the like, lunatics. "What?" Because the, what because the war game. is against the moon and the earth, of course. And there's no aliens or any of that shit. It's just the moon versus the earth in in a war to the death. And then Raggle says, well, I'm going to stop this war. In his head, he says, I'm going to stop this war because they know if they don't have me down here doing that weird shit that I do, then then the moon's going to win. So fuck it. And he goes off to the moon, and we assume they all live happily ever after. God, yeah. that took forever. Oh, it's yeah. it's a long. It, this is one of the longer books. Well, and a really convoluted I, plot to. Uh, I can't wait break till down. till you break down a scanner darkly five years from now. Oh my god, <laughs> I should be a pro at it by then, <laughs> or even three stigmata. Oh, yeah. that'll be really fun <laughs> listening to that one. Okay, so time out of joint is a you know basically uh, the reason why it got spoiled for Anthony is that it was compared. And, of course, anytime you talk about the plot of this book or what happened to it, it's going to get compared to The Truman Show. Well, that's, I, I actually made that comparison when I was reading it. Right. But I didn't know why. Right. So to me it was I, – I knew there was a Truman Show aspect to it. Yeah. But I didn't know what that, what that final piece was. Is that what got it for you, David? Well, see, yeah, okay, for me, the thing about it is, is that you can compare it to the Truman Show because it's, the whole town is basically this fake reality. Unlike the Truman Show, it's not just Raggle, it's his whole family are kind of a part of the whole thing. That's why Vic has such a hard time with it. Um, so it is similar to the Truman Show, but it's also a much more diabolical thing going on. You know, the Truman Show, they're just doing a reality show or whatever. And in Time Out of Joint, we have this whole military conspiracy where they're basically 
part of the whole deal is they have to keep Raggle thinking or kind of they have to kind of keep him insane. They're actually worried about him becoming more sane and like having this reality and all of it is engineered so Raggle will do the contest and provide the war codes. So the idea is I think that Raggle was they needed him to be able to continue to plan the bombings, but he didn't want to. So they had to kind of trick him into No, doing- no, no. He was he was able to discern where where the the lunatics were going to launch their next attack. Oh, and so he was kind of he's doing it against his own people and they're tricking him into doing that. Well, right. he he hadn't no. he hadn't gone to the other side yet. He was planning to go to the lunatics, and that's why they, they had to keep him insane. Was because he was going to switch sides. Okay, right. yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it, got it. So, yeah, and for me, the whole reveal that all of this was fake and that this was all engineered was really well done because for me, the original the, the I was. Because of the title Time on a Joint, I believed that this was when all the things were going wrong with the light switch, when they were doing the test in the grocery store, I thought that there was just he was just slipping between realities. Mm. That he was that what was happening was he was just slightly out of sync with time. So you and, your own uh knowledge your knowledge of dick material really sent you down the wrong path. Right. This one. Plus the title. So I was look I was reading looking for a totally different book. So when the reveal came that you know that this was all engineered to create this false reality for him and I didn't even really think of the Truman show. I just I thought that reveal was great because I thought the whole book got me going in another direction and when they made the reveal I just really appreciated it. Like the reveal worked for me. That's a a twist that worked. Right. I thought the, I thought of the Truman show the first time he tried to call Transylvania six, 5,000 <laughs> or whatever it was, you know, that when he was trying to dial out, but couldn't get those numbers that were in the phone book. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, all right, this is some Truman show shit happening well, right and, here. And if I had, if I hadn't, if I would kind of not been thinking that it was going down this other path, and I was so convinced that it was going down this other path that um, that's one of the reasons why the narrative worked for me the way that it did. Hmm. You know, so. So, Anthony, you you were told that it was Truman Show-like. So yeah, and how the, did that affect it for you? I was. I mean, this is not your your type of narrative. What, is right? that, what does that mean? It's very much character-driven. Nothing much happens. Um, the, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean about it or anything. I'm just Do saying. Do you not know me? Is this your kind of thing? Yeah. Really? Da- David can actually back me up on that. Um, it is to a degree, but you did find it very you boring. Found this you found this have I have no problem. With, whoa, whoa, hold on. I need you two to just take a step back for a no, second. I need oh. you to explain this to me. It's driving me fucking nuts. You are trying to get me? Angry, you just want another adjustment bureau blowout. It's not gonna happen. Nobody wants an adjustment bureau. No one likes the adjustment <laughs> bureau. I love meditative, slow burn, character driven stuff. Huh. What I found frustrating with this book was that in order to get to the second half and have the twist and the reveal be more, make more of an impact is it has to be so leave it to beaver. 
bland and boring. And I struggled with that. But see, I a didn't find bit. it. I didn't find it bland at all. I really liked the characters. I was, I was interested, and and definitely the mystery kept me you, involved you enjoyed, in what was going on. You enjoyed the mo the the most unengaging opening. Well, now, how do you to a novel? How do you I've mean ever it's read. unengaging? From the cold storage locker at the rear of the store. Victor Nielsen wheeled a cart of winter potatoes to the vegetable section of the produce department. Sick, sick opening line, PKD. Well, so what is supposed to be the opening line? What? I'm not saying. Are, it has are you to... saying it has to be like exciting? I'm just... stories can't start with once upon a time, or well, you have we not talked about my once upon a time thing? No, I don't All think right. so. Well, we'll we'll do that another time. Oh. Um, <laughs> Larry's just Larry's just right. trying to get me upset. No, I'm not. I I I I, <laughs> I want to know a thing. I love character-driven storylines. To me, I think what they're I think what PKD was trying to do in this part of the book is that he was trying to set up what seems like a mundane reality. Yeah, he was so simply yeah, so setting not, up characters. So you have to David, pick it shut up for a second. Larry, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying that if this were a film. I would have no problem with it, but reading it was a bit dry, and I struggled with that. But hmm. that I... I'm still trying to understand how you view things. So, oh my god, I, I admit I what's, thought, what's I found wrong it with trying to understand so. something? Okay, hold on, say that again. What's I admit a... I found I, I found it boring in the beginning, and and I think I and I think it ends up working. I think well you guys towards... define boring differently than me. Okay, well, well, we can't all sit on the riverbanks reading fucking Ethan Frome, or, or this. What is that? What is that? What is that fucking all right novel? I, I, Not everybody wants to I read the sun like always, also rises, Larry. I well, didn't. I didn't like that either. Hemingway sucks. I I don't like Hemingway. Okay, so um, we're not on the Hemingway cast, but uh, thank God because I would do nothing but complain. <laughs> I would just get up and leave. <laughs> I would just name writers that are better than Hemingway. Okay. Um, so I think what he was trying to do here was he was trying to build up a, min- a, a mundane image of suburbia that when you go back the second time, you're going to have clues throughout. And I think it worked in the long run, although I, I was... Sure, that's exactly what he's doing. I'm not yeah. arguing that. I'm not yeah. arguing either way. That That is exactly what he's doing. And, and yes, it was kind of slow, but at the same time, when you when you look at what he's building, I think that in the long run, it, it is it is pretty important stuff. And and I think things like the light cord, um, which are like little clues and little twists that, you know, for me, for example, the light cord really, because I had this idea that it was this alternate timeline or that he was slipping between different timelines, and I thought because of the way the book was described on the back of the cover, that he was slipping to the future. And I thought this whole Lycord thing was, was you know, basically the first, like, a, like the disc slipping or the right. needle skipping. And for that reason, I, I you know, I, I really like the misdirection there. And I think that, I think that um, in a lot of ways, this is, this is PKD really just telling a really a really strong narrative in a way that he's he's setting the table really awesome and yeah know, this is a very solid story yeah and so i think that in it that whereas i think if you're looking for pew pew stuff or whatever and i'm not saying you are anthony 
But I don't know. That's the impression I'm starting to get. Well, no, I felt the same way. I was bo- <laughs> I was bored in the beginning, so I'm not judging you for that. But oh my god, you're such a fucking victim. <laughs> That's not a very nice thing to say to David, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> certainly was not me, but listen, I certainly understand why this book might not be a good entry point for PKD. No, this would definitely not be no, I, I would the agree first with book to read. It's, you don't start with this. Yeah. Right. But I think... I wouldn't say just start with any of the early books, really. Uh, I started with Clans of the Alphane Moon. What did you start with? I read... Do an- uh, Androids. Yeah, do read Ants do a- Dream. I read Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep first, and then I read Short Story Collection second. So, for me. Hmm. But, um, and, and so I think that worked really well for me, and then I think... Maybe the short stories would be a good primer before the novels. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. All right, but... <laughs> David, dismissive of me again. <laughs> Not dismissing you. I'm just trying to keep things going. I'm trying to think. I read uh, I, I read Androids in high school, and then the next one I read wasn't until my mid twenties, and that was um, what was the first one I read? I read like a a, a bunch of them in a row. Yeah, I, it started with Policeman. Oh, flow my tears. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I read Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep first, and I definitely didn't get a lot of it and was certainly just seeing Blade Runner in my head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, most of the time. But, I, you know, I think I think Time Out of Joint, well, I think the pacing of Time Out of Joint is definitely something that makes it not the most accessible of BKD books. But um, Well, I there there is a way it is, is if you think like me <laughs> or you, you enjoy books the way I enjoy books. Uh, I I like slow character, even mundane things you know, like like uh, like reading uh, Henry James. You know, I loved reading Henry James, and I loved uh, a lot of stuff like uh, J D. Salinger does a lot of that stuff. You know, it's just it's boring stuff, but the characters you're interested in, so it doesn't seem boring mm-hmm. or mundane, right? And and I think, you know, Time Out of Joint, I think, for me, a lot of it just uh, cruxes, or the crux of it comes on, you, you build up this, you know, this ideal idea of suburbia, and they're trying to create this fake world to keep Gum happy, or, you know, complacent, and, and I, I think that, you know, that's a part of the trick of the narrative. Right. So let's talk about some specific parts of the book. The scene that Ace wanted to cut, um, which is page 53 and 54, where he goes to the drink stand. Let's see. Got any beer, he said, <laughs> his voice sounding funny. Nice. Thin and remote. The counterman in a white apron and cap stared at him. Stared and did not move. Nothing happened. No sound. Anywhere, kids, cars, the wind, it all shut off. The 50-cent piece fell away, down through the woods, sinking. It vanished. I'm dying, Raggle thought, or something. Fright seized him. He tried to speak, but his lips did not move for him. Caught in the silence. Not again, he thought. Not again. It's happening to me again. The soft drink stand fell into bits. Molecules. He saw the molecules, colorless, without qualities, that made it up. Then he saw through into the space beyond it. 
He saw the hill beyond, the trees and sky. He saw the soft drink stand go out of existence, along with the counterman, the cash register, the big dispenser for orange drink, the tabs for Coke and root beer, the ice chests of bottles, the hot dog broiler, the jars of mustard, the shelves of cones, the, the row of heavy round metal lids under which were different ice creams. In its place was a slip of paper. He reached out with his hand, took hold of the slip of paper, and on its printing it said, Soft Drink Stand. This was a cool moment, and I cannot believe that Ace was like, that was the first thing they were like, this has got to go. Yeah, right? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, in on top on top of that, like if they were just going to turn it into the Moon War book, <laughs> anyways, well, you know what does it matter? But um, this is a, just a really cool scene where just it kind of you know speaks to the whole sanity of the whole situation and and um, and was just kind of a, the first like mind bendy part that really you know where you go whoa what's going on here right. So, I really oh like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really like that part. Uh, hey, Anthony, I have a question. Do you think this was the beginning of the bougie lunar colony that blew up the world eventually? Oh shit! I'm not. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but it sounds a, like one. It's a through line in in Dick wow. books, but it's a through line in Dick books. I think I we think. just started a new PKD conspiracy. <laughs> Wait, I'm not following you. Are you saying like the the whole or time out of joint as a whole? We're or? referring no, no, no. to a joke from the other episodes, David. Oh, with the with, where they go at the end of the the books or the. <laughs> uh, That's why I asked Anthony. Okay. <laughs> All right. Explain. I'm, All right. I'm not following you. So in second variety, there's the bougie lunar col- colony that we invented. I mean, there's a lunar colony, but we made it bougie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm saying that this is that same colony, just very early on. It's where it all started. Yeah. With those bougie-ass moon people. Yep. Oh, the bougie-ass moon. Okay, now I get what you're talking about. Gotcha. Riveting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it is a through line. Read some more, David. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Um, I'm not going to read the next part, but I th- I do think it should point out that on page 64, the title, Raggle says, time is out of joint. And then yeah. Dick says to him, I think we should compare notes. That was the first time that I remember a PKD title, like just like being word for word in the book. Right. Um, I, yeah, I don't think we've. Other than second variety. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think we've encountered that in the novels. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And then I really do like the idea that he and Vec are, like, trying to figure this out and that he kind of has a partner Yeah. in, in all this. It, it kind of made me sad at the end when they they found out they were totally on opposite sides. Yeah. So they're right back where they started because they're always That's how kind they began of, that. Yeah, they're at odds at the beginning of the book. And then yeah. they, they get close because they're both freaked out about what's going on. And yeah. then at the end they realize that they're always going to be on opposite sides. I mean, it fits. It just made me sad a little yeah i liked i thought Vic was all right yeah until you found out he was like a total right-wing douchebag i dislike bill black more than i would dislike Vic. oh my god that guy was the worst yeah i mean i mean of all three of the the guys raggle bill and uh, Vic, only one of them kind of tried to rape someone whoa whoa just saying there was a rape scene just saying one of them did i miss that one of them was a little too handsy 
Yeah, I know what scene you're talking about. Are, um, are you? No, I don't. What are you talking about? We'll we'll get there. What, right? Why can't we I don't, get there? I don't there have now? that in my. I, I have it. Scene. Like, well, you can br- bring it up because I think it is like a is a really kind of nerve wracking scene to read. But um, and 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 I think that speaks to like uh, Anthony. What's up? Go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. It's just something that I, I, it's prevalent in all these dick books. I think. I don't know if I've seen it this extreme before. All the world loves a lover, he said. And bending over her, he took hold of her by the throat and kissed her on the mouth. Her mouth was dry, small, and it moved to escape him. He had to grab her neck with his hands. Help, she said faintly. I love you, he told her. She stared at him wildly, her pupils hot and dark, as if she thought God knew what she thought. Probably nothing. It was as if he had clutched hold of a little thin-armed, crazed animal. It had alert sense and fast reflexes. Under him, it struggled, and its nails dug into his arms. But it did not reason or plan or look ahead. If he let go of it, it would bound away a few yards, smooth its pelt, and then forget. Lose its fear, calm down, and not remember that anything had happened. So we see, with this this paragraph, it's it's kind of problematic, right guys? Yeah, it's super creepy. It is very creepy, and I think we all agree on that. And the reason I bring it up is because this happens, and it made me kind of dislike Raggle, but we never really address it. So, do you guys think that this was just the fiction of the time? You could do that in fiction in the 50s and 60s, and no one would bat an eye at it, but now reading it, it it stands out a little bit more? Did it stand out for either of you? Yeah, Uh, of course. It was like the worst thing in the book. Yeah, it, it definitely um, turned me off to Raggle. I thought the worst thing in the book was watching Vic load fucking groceries. <laughs> okay. Well, Sorry, was... I guess that was just a character building moment, I guess. Yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely... How he stacks oranges really gives us a deeper understanding of who he is. Yeah. I definitely think that we see... Strong le- character moment. Bullshit. I definitely think this is one of the problematic things of... And that's the thing. If you're going to talk about any of these authors from the past where you're talking to Robert Heinlein or H.P. Lovecraft or Philip K. Dick, you're going to have certain things that they – or even if you talk about some of the bigger writers like Hemingway or whoever from, from that era, you're going to have pr- little problematic things that crop up. And with PKD, it's it's the way that women are treated. And I'm not yeah. sure I'm not sure that that scene is worse than the – the stuff in Cosmic Puppets, which was extremely uncomfortable. Um, so that's or in the, I, I in the Sky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think this is just something that we're going to have to deal with and we just have to acknowledge and, and accept that this is part of it, just like the racism in Lovecraft, um, you know, which, you know, some of it is not as racist as it's built out to be and some of it is absolutely as racist as it's made out to be in, in right. Lovecraft. And I think here, the the level of sexism that's involved in PKD's work is, you know, sometimes off the charts, and sometimes it's just subtle. But um, yeah, that 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 part was was very uncomfortable. But um, back to the the story, um, I think one of the next things that I really wanted to point out was the civil defense stuff. And I think Larry has a part he wants to read too. But I found the the civil defense stuff to be a really interesting part of the book that um, really speaks to a different time. And I think that for uh, somebody who is a younger person that's reading 
time out of joint now who doesn't have kind of the context for the time back then. And you're a little younger than us, Anthony. I, I wonder, like, did the civil defense stuff to you seem a little goofy or? No, it made sense. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with that kind of wartime paranoia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I. But you didn't grow up having to do, you never had to do like um, a get under the desk drill for. No, like... but we learned about that time period and I'm, okay. I'm fairly familiar with it. I, yeah. I mean, I did go to school, David. <laughs> I'm not saying that you did go to school. I just, I, I just think that this this part does definitely kind of serve as a little bit of a time capsule for the time in which it it was made, and and I think that even when when we were kids, Larry, I don't think that you know like civil defense groups were running around the neighborhood. You well, know, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't like, like it was that. in the fifties. Yeah. But um, but we definitely came from from a different time. Did you want to read? Um, you had a part about the civil defense that that you. Yeah, it totally reminded me of the eighties. This paragraph, or this part of this paragraph, or whatever it is, the thing I'm gonna read. Read it, my man. Let's see. I've never read anything on this show before. <laughs> okay, if war should break out, Miss Kettlebean said. We would be faced, at best, with terrible ruin, dead and dying in the tens of millions, cities into rubble, radioactive fallout, contaminated crops, germ plasm of future generations irretrievably damaged. At best, we would have disaster on a scale never before seen on Earth. The funds appropriated by our government for defense, which seems such a burden and drain on us, would be a drop in the bucket compared with this catastrophe. And that reminded me of all the talk in the 80s about about defense spending and the paranoia that we did feel about every day was could be your last day on Earth. Well, right, because I think there was no way to hide from it when back then that we – I mean we still have all those nuclear weapons, right. but with the Cold War – this the idea that the that the Russians or America could launch the nukes at any time. The idea that the world could end in a heartbeat or very quickly was a much more real thing. I think when we were kids, we worried about it a lot. Yeah, and, and especially with an unqualified actor as president, right? Which um, you know we, th- which he seems so qualified. Which now. Would somehow <laughs> sounds just like what we have now. No, right. no, it's really it's really coming back. Even the the talk of nuclear war is coming back. Yeah, with with North Korea, and you know, and and I think that if you weren't alive for this, um, and and we were talking about this off air, but the uh, there was a TV movie in the eighties called The Day After, oh, and when The Day After, it was basically like about what would happen. If, at, it, if the, if the war, war happened. If the war happened and it was a TV movie and it was the event of the week. Everybody talked about it in school. It was – it's like today if you had a, have something released on Netflix or whatever, maybe some people talk – I mean a lot of people yeah. talked about Breaking Bad when it was on. But it was still nothing compared to like when the when day you, after happened, everybody watched it. Right, because you and, only had three or four stations that you could watch. And everybody talked about it, and indeed, it had a huge impact because the day after is the reason why Ronald Reagan decided that he had to start negotiating with Gorbachev. Um, and be- I was I was ten years old when that came out, and 
it was never uh, back then. I don't know if it was just the way parents were or just the event itself being billed as like your whole family should see this. Yeah. But really no kid at 10 years old should have seen the day after. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we were all, I mean, it was the thing that everybody was supposed to sit down and watch this because it was like such an important movie. So it was a really weird thing. And I think, yeah, I, these parts of the book definitely brought up these memories. And I think as a time capsule, I think time out of joint, um, provides that with those, those parts. So, um, so the next like really interesting thing that I think happened in the story, like the civil defense stuff was really interesting and how it kind of wove into, um, it kind of gave like a little bit of clue into, even though he wasn't, he didn't really want to do the civil defense thing. He was just kind of wanting to spend more time with Junie. Right. Right. But, um, I love that he thought it was her plan. Right. <laughs> right. Like Junie of all people is going to come up with a plan like that. Right. We can squeeze time, squeeze out some time together if we pretend to go to this meeting. Right. And uh, <laughs> so – Oh, wait. I do have a question for you guys. Yes. And this is – only comes up because near the end of the book, there's a picture of his wife that is obscured and he can't see her. Do you think Junie is actually his wife? That's interesting. Um, because now- uh, hmm. the only reason I ask is because of that picture – and his attraction to Junie doesn't seem rational. Now, one of our listeners, um, Palmer Eldridge, Palmer, whoa, 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 uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not we're not getting into the questions. <laughs> we're, we're not getting into questions yet. Well, that's part of yeah, talking and we'll, about we'll, Junie and Black. we'll get there. No. <laughs> okay, pack it in, David, and answer Larry's question. Uh, that's a really I hadn't thought of that. Now that's that's a really interesting um, aspect of it. No, I um it would No, remember sense. she's also the only one of the central characters that doesn't have a background explained as right. so it could all she, sort of could she be the agent who's kind of making, She's not an agent. She's clearly not an agent. Well, no, but I mean could she be part of the forces that were planted there with him? I mean Yes, she was. Yeah. For sure. She was planted, but she was planted as Black's wife. And they, for some reason, wanted just a a sort of ditzy, attractive woman to play his wife. Right, because his real wife was whose wife, guys? Vic's. Actually, yeah, it's Vic's wife. Mm, yeah. Right. Who who does fit more in line with Black's John Q. boring businessman demeanor and attitude. Right. It does make sense because, uh, yeah, his sister does seem like – like her and Black would make a good couple. And Junie uh, – just doesn't match well with anyone, really. Mm. Well, but I think Junie's a representation of the not buttoned down homemaker mm-hmm. of this time period, which is why Margot has such an intense dislike for her. I think. I think she feels intimidated. Yeah, that's true. The uh, well, I I, I want to say some stuff, but I think David should ask that question first. We're not. Doing. Should, let's just do this question. Fucking qu- The question is about Junie Black. Yep. Never We're talking mind. about Junie. Forget it. We're talking Fine, about Junie. Just ask the stupid question, I guess. It's not a stupid question. I'm sorry. The question isn't stupid. David's timing of the question is dumb. <laughs> We're talking about Junie Black. What other time are we going to talk about it? At the time appropriate for questions. <laughs> <laughs>
Go ahead, Dave. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Okay, and um, <laughs> so um, no, it's Tony at Palmer underscore Eldridge uh, asked: Is Junie Black the filthiest female character in PDK's f- PKD's fiction? Um, and he also added that he would like. Make sure Langhorn J. Tweed answers it, as from his name is clearly a wrongly discarded extra from Ubik. <laughs> Great question, Palmer Eldridge. Thank right? you. Thanks. Thanks for forcing me to answer the question. Do you think Junie Black is PKD's filthiest female character? Uh, so far, yes. Yeah. Pretty- yeah, even worse. She's even, she is dirtier than Silky. She's certainly less irritating. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. When I, I'll talk about the, the casting of her when we get there, but I have to say that if I were still in my late 20s, early 30s, I would totally go for this girl, this type of girl. And I did. I had a lot of girlfriends that were just like this person. Yeah, not a fan of Junie in any way, shape, or form over here. Um, uh, as far as... Kind of grossest female character. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. You said filthiest, which means I guess you take that how you will. Which means sexiest. Not not, no. That doesn't mean the same thing. I'm take take it how you want, David. Take it. I would just say that um, I don't think she is. She is definitely not a great character, and I'm just not a fan. Of, of Junie and I, I don't really like what she serves in the. I don't really think she serves the story very well myself. Why? Um, because I, I just think it's all kind of besides the point, and then just leads to that kind of gross scene that we already talked about. And um, I, I think she serves some of the worst impulses of Raggle and makes him look like an unsympathetic character, which I don't really think is necessary here. So you're placing the blame on her instead of Raggle? <laughs> no, <laughs> you did I'm say placing... she makes him. Yeah, I, you I, did. No, I'm saying narratively in the I, story. I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's Junie's fault. I'm not blaming Junie. I'm just you saying, just hate her. I just don't like her in the story. <laughs> I felt there. that Margot didn't serve a total a purpose at all. Yeah, to be quite honest. It, well, at least Junie has she some was kind of, type kind of, of the glue of the family, so I could see that. But other than that, really, no. I, I felt that June Junie forwards the storyline. More than say Margot, or by being sort of a red herring. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as his motivation for doing things and, mm-hmm. and feeling things, I guess. All right. So uh, one of the next things that we kind of really saw that were kind of cool elements of the story is the whole center of the universe thing, where Raoul gets all these clues that he's kind of the center of things from. The contest, how everybody knows that he's the winner of the contest and all that, and which, like, how many people are really – would in, a, in reality be following, like, hey, this is cool guy that keeps winning this contest. Right. You know? But everybody seems to know who he, who he is. The cab drivers recognize him. Um, and uh, I like this part where he says, when cab drivers recognize me, he decided, it's probably not in my mind. But when the heavens open up and God speaks to me by name, that's when the psychos- psychosis takes over. Yeah, right. It's hard to distinguish. 
The cab moved along the dark street, past houses and stores at last in the downtown business section. Um, he's in the five-story building. Here you are, Mr. Gum. Uh, the cab driver knows him automatically. All this stuff. But then the cab driver tries to talk him out of taking the bus. You know, hey, you know, the Greyhound doesn't really serve this city anymore. And so they, he keeps taking him to places that aren't the bus stop. Right. And he's like, you know, you're the worst cab driver ever. <laughs> I think <laughs> right. that, I think they had to set up that bus stop. Right. I think so that's they, why he was driving him around town and right, exactly. wasting time. Yeah. And so there was all those cool little moments. But the, the reason he thought uh, I liked the whole thing, the radio thing was amazing. Yeah. When they what, started picking up signals. And then that last signal where they do use his name, he's and like, the, oh, shit. And that's where he thinks the voice of God or all that yeah. thing. Yeah, and these are all really great moments. The radio elements where he's actually hearing commands and he's hearing these things. And, and these, are, these are really cool moments of narrative storytelling where we're getting the clues and the things. And that, that, that's awesome. Um, page 201, there is a really great reveal where the cab driver just um, – well, before we get to that, uh, <laughs> sorry. You open your textbooks to page another, 204. Another David Tease. Uh, We're going to talk about a cab driver. Oh, no, wait. I have to do this. Oh, no, first. wait. We're going to talk about the safety manual. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like this part on 140 where he says, I know they're conspiring against me. The two soldiers, the attendant, plotting against me. The bus depot, too. The cab driver. Everybody. I can't trust anyone. They sent me off in this truck to get picked up by the first highway cop that came cruising by. Probably the back end of the truck lights up and reads Russian spy. Some pan, uh, 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 paranomic kick me, he thought. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, he thought. I'm the man with kick me sign uh, pinned on him. No matter how hard he tries... He can't whirl around fast enough to see it. But his intuition tells him it's there. That is great mm-hmm. paranoia writing. Right. And so we, you know, we get a, a somewhat reveal of the future around page 163. I'm not going to read it, but um, we just, you know, cool what? moments where he sees the uh, top of a newspaper, I think it is, that has the date May 10th, 1997. Right. So he sees little things that he thinks are the future. And this tricked me because I'm looking for him to be slipping in and out of time. So all these elements are fooling me because I'm thinking, instead of thinking that he's in this fake city, personally, when I was reading, I was thinking he was slipping to a time that was somewhere between 1959 and 1997. And then mm-hmm. when he saw the newspaper headline, I just thought he, he, he had slipped ahead. Right. Right. And so every time he went back or saw elements where it snapped back, like with the paper and all those things, I with the with the drink stand, I thought it was like um, Bidden Time Return by Richard Matheson somewhere in time where Christopher Reeve's character saw the penny and shot him back in time. That's what I thought was happening. Right. And so the whole thing kind of fooled me. And uh, by the way, the date. Uh, on the Time magazine with Raggle Gum Man of the Year was January 14th, 1996. I'm sure we all remember that from 1996. <laughs> um, the Raggle Gum issue of Time. The year before the hit film Spawn came out. <laughs> of all things. Um, but uh, 
just, you know, some really cool moments. But for me, one of the coolest reveals with the paranoia and where the, the story turn was on 201 when the cab driver just kind of says, listen, Mr. Gum, you don't know what's out here, do you? You have no idea. Listen to me. There isn't a chance in the world you'll run into anything but harm. Harm for you, harm for everybody else. You have to take my word for it. I'm telling you the truth. Someday you'll look back and know I was right. You'll thank me here. And then he held a slip of paper with the information for the next, or the phone number that he's supposed to go to the drugstore to call. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really good moment because what it does is it, it, it shows, you know, he's, he's, this cab driver is hinting to him like, look. That's uh, the trucker. Uh, yeah, the driver. Yeah, the trucker. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking cab driver. But, um, yeah. And I, what I think it does is it, it says it gives him just enough validation that his paranoia might be correct, but he doesn't know fully what's going on still. So there's still some ambiguity as to what is really happening, but you have just enough validation to still be afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. And so excellent moment. And, and I just uh, just really liked that. The next thing that was really kind of cool in there was the post-apocalyptic details that once they get out of the city and then you realize that they that, – that <laughs> you're in Wyoming, right? Right. Which happens – That's very late. Yeah, it's very late. Page 227, I believe. He gets the January copy of Time. And then they say – he tries to figure out where he is, that he's in this post-apocalyptic landscape. And she says – and Keitelbein from the Civil Defense tells him – Your German is flawless. Keitelbein. Keitelbein? I, I like Kettlebean. Kettlebean? Uh, I don't know. I think it's Kettlebein. Uh, oh, I'm going to take your word for it, word guy. <laughs> word pronunciation guy. Uh, I think I do better in normal life than I do. I get kind of nervous about that on the podcast, as you could all tell. <laughs> um, we're between towns, Kettlebine said. Uh, since you set foot in here, we've been in motion. We're in motion now. For a month now, we've been able to penetrate Old Town. They built it, so they so they named it. Didn't you ever? Didn't it ever occur to you to wonder where you lived, the name of your town, the county, the state? And then she goes on to say, there's a couple of lines. She says, it's in Wyoming. We're in western Wyoming near the Idaho border. Your town was built as a reconstruction of several old towns, which got blown away in the early days of the war. And that's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, and that's our only glimpse at any kind of, uh, of uh, whatever science. The science fiction? No, the our, our bad science fiction. What do we call oh, that? Wackadoo science. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah, and then so then you find out about the whole. This is the part that Don Wolheim was all about, <laughs> the the Moon War stuff, war with the Moon, um, which is kind of a, a weird kind of. Um, this is this is and and I'll have a quote about this later. But this is where the, all the frontier stuff in the earlier PKD books, as Evan Lamp said in our interview that um, we did with him that should be out now. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to the interview with Evan. He talks a lot about that kind of frontierism in the early PKD where each novel kind of ends with like, we're going to a colony, right? Yeah. That, the the grand frontier, but this one 
kind of has the the frontiers already happened and it's already come back and fucked us <laughs> right kind of thing and so that's kind of an interesting part about the whole war i the one thing that i think is the worst joke i mean pkd has a lot of clever jokes in here but the fact that the the moon war people are called the lunatics is the stupidest joke it, it, yeah, it, but it makes perfect sense that that would be what the the masses would call them. Well, the masses, huh? Yeah. <laughs> cool, the, man. The n- nameless, faceless masses. You know, the Trump fans. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyways, so the end of the book basically, um, you know, gets us to this kind of the moon war thing and, and we find out that Raugum has been um, been manipulated this whole time to kind of play his role in the war, and I think that is a really cool ending compared to the, I think it's the best ending that we've had so far. Yeah, yeah <laughs> compared sure. to building radios or driving through Boob Mountain, <laughs> <laughs> any number of endings that I can't remember how Solar Lottery ended. Um, it didn't have as good of an ending as, as this one does, I, I don't think. So I think this is kind of the best ending. So I have – but before we get to our final judgments um, – So that's the end. <laughs> but – But I, I, I want to talk about some different ideas that the book was exploring. This was a from a French essay called The Four Levels of Reality in Philip K. Dick's Time Out of Joint. Oh, shit. I can't wait to be bored to death by you reading this. All right. By, um, a student of Camus. <laughs> uh, Yves Bouton, Bouton said, The major portion of the novel takes place in the reader's daily universe. 1959 USA in a town that remains nameless because it cannot bear its ontological responsibilities alone. The town is a paradigm of United States, of United States plastic it's slightly paradoxical to have a science fiction novel be set in everyday reality. Perhaps at the time, the traditional universe was more commonly tilted towards a science fictional universe. Van Vogt did it marvelously, but still, only in the last 60 pages out of 250 are about a science fiction universe, which, as we will find out, isn't one anyways. Let us remember that Dick ran into many problems trying to get this novel published. And he was finally paid less for it than the others because of the mainstream elements for it. The typical science fiction reader is confounded by it for obvious reasons. So he's addressing how boring a lot of people found it to be in the beginning. But the it is science fiction. It is very science fiction in the end, yes. Sorry, Frenchie, you're wrong. It is science fiction. <laughs> um, I, but I do think that it's it, you know, it does challenge – you know, some I do think that the beginning will challenge some science fiction readers because it takes a while to some of them are done. Some of the science fiction elements are done so subtly in the beginning. Yeah, and it doesn't follow uh, Dick's Dick's idea that he he laid down that he got from someone else to introduce a new element every three to five pages. I think was his his initial I- idea was some new exciting element had to be introduced every three to five pages. Right. This one definitely doesn't have that. So, 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't introduce new and exciting ideas if you're not looking for it. And and a lot of times it takes like a second reading to find those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are happening, but but they're not as obvious, right? So one uh, one um, other quote from um, from our but, uh, buddy Evan Lamp, um, uh, and he said in his review, "Time out of joint. The universe we are introduced to set in the 1950s." But we quickly learn this is a timeless, historyless construct carefully designed to match the needs of the insane Raggle Gum. While Gum believes he is living a life, he is actually frozen in the 50s of his youth. No matter how long he stays there, there will be no change in his life. The middle-class suburban community is Dick's strongest metaphor for the end of history. As this world falls apart for Gum... He learns the truth. In reality, humans are engaged in a brutal civil war over the issue of human expansion into the stars. While the Earth government is working to prevent space exploration, the, quote, lunatics are fighting to preserve what they see as the central human need for creativity, curiosity, and rebirth, all of which are grounded in the explorer's mission, despite the use the quote, lunatics' use of weapons of mass destruction to secure their independence from Earth, Gum learns to appreciate their perspective. A life of cultural recreation promised by the lunatics is preferable to the static life in the endless 1950s. So, wow. uh, a close association between the end of the frontier and cultural stagnation, says Evan Lamp. Uh, yep. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Yeah, we like Evan. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, like really good stuff to say about this. So there's a there's a lot of themes in Time Out of Joint. It's definitely one of PKD's most thoughtful books. It takes a while to get there, but you know, I think there's a lot to unpack here and I think, you know, overall it's it's really good stuff. So Should we do Evan's question and then do our Yeah judgments? So lay la- down our judgments. Yeah, before before we get to our judgments, Evan did <laughs> bring up a question. True or false? Goth's revision of John one. That's not. Did how you, did you say, say that. goth? That's not how you say that. Gita. Gita. Gita's revision of John one is the ultimate pickup line. Is it? And I'm gonna. I I already butcher everything. <laughs> <laughs> Am and Fung War Ditat. Right. Is a pickup line, and this is a line. Are you? Gonna, you can try to read that. Either. I believe it's M. Einfang war detat. Is that German or is that Latin? Because those are the two languages that Raggle speaks yeah, in there. Sure. My answer to I'm this question sure it's is not war. My question. My answer to the question is, man, that Evan Lamp is a really smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer is true because it, it is a pickup line. Um, it's a really nerdy one that's placed in the book. It's um I don't remember the translation, but um I, I went what at some point in the reading of the book I underlined that line and I did look it up and it, it was it was like some line used as a pickup line. Like it was supposed to be but why How ju- many more ways can you tell us it's a pickup line, David? I don't know. <laughs> uh, did you ju- look at did you look it up, Anthony? No. Uh Junie I, I was don't playing know. Fruit Ninja. I don't know why Junie <laughs> would know it, but um but yeah, uh, it. I, the answer is true, <laughs> I would say. But 
you can listen to I'm sure Evan talks about it more in his podcast. So if you want more details on that, you should listen to his time on a joint episode. He has five of them about this book. Wow. So, Is that Evan Lamp's a real smart fella? Yeah. We like Evan Lamp around these parts. <laughs> so how many uh, fake Wyoming towns out of five would you give time on a joint? Ooh. Go ahead, Larry. I'm giving it four Juni Blacks. Four Juni Blacks out of five? Yeah. I really liked this book. I didn't know what to expect, and I liked the way it slowly ramped up and got to the, got to a, a good, solid finish. Uh of course, it, it can't be five stars because you can't have uh, sexual assault in there from your main character. And and Anthony was right, and David's right. Some some parts were a little boring. So I'll give it four. Um, I think I initially gave this book three fake Wyoming towns out of five, three Junie Blacks out of five. But um, <laughs> the longer I research it, I always give myself – the ability to edit up or down my um, my ratings, and I I'm gonna overall give it four fake Wyoming towns out of five, four Junie Blacks out of five, however you want to count that, uh, because I do think that this is one of PKD's best, and just from a writing and narrative structure standpoint, this is definitely the strongest written of all the books that we've read so far right. in the series. I've read better PKD books before we started doing this podcast, but so far all the books that we've read are new to me because these are ones that I hadn't read before. We yeah. haven't gotten to any. Me too. And so – and I would say at this point this is the one that – yeah, he really nailed the writing of it. And like the way that the story unfolds is just uh, excellent. So I'm going to give it – and the reveal completely got me because I was totally fooled by the title Time Out of Joint. <laughs> that I thought it was going to be something totally different. So the misdirection worked where, you know, the magician in this case, PKD was trying to get me to look the other way. So I wouldn't see him doing the actual trick and, and, and I missed the actual trick. Right. So, so four out of five. Anthony, is this the second one that you hadn't previously read or is this the first one? No, this is the first. The f- Thanks Anthony for answering. <laughs> Uh, it's the first one that I hadn't read previously. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it four necktie fellows out of five. <laughs> I think this is the most strongly written of the PKD books we've gotten through so far. I think that it's a complex novel that he pulls off with kind of each chapter is a new building block. And I think he juggles everything really well. Um, did I find it boring? Yeah, absolutely. The first hundred and so pages of this were me wanting to yank my own teeth out. But it, it being mundane is purposeful. So if you can get through that, it's definitely worth it in the last probably 80 pages or so. So, yeah, four necktie fellows out of five. Nice. It, it, and it just has so many good ideas, like when it comes to the end, I think, is what really sells it for me. Junie Black sells it for me. Next is how would we do this as a movie? I think we should really quickly note that Time Out of Joint was optioned at Warner Brothers for several years. And in fact, there was a screenplay floating around by screenwriter Sam Hamm, who wrote um, Tim Burton's Batman. And so he was hired by Sony. He was on the project for a long time. 
and he actually left Time Out of Joint to work on the first script for Watchmen. Um, Boo! <laughs> That's Anthony's favorite movie. What a piece of shit that Watchmen adaptation was. It wasn't was. his Watchmen adaptation. His Watchmen adaptation never got made. Um, Boo! <laughs> uh, Terry Gilliam was also briefly attached to... Boo! <laughs> what? Oh. What? You're, Terry it, Gilliam has like two good movies. Whoa. Whoa, buddy. Really? Which two? Brazil. Uh-huh. And Time Bandits. Fuck and, Time Bandits. And Fisher <laughs> King. Whoa! <laughs> Time Bandits is great. <laughs> Finally, and, we get a hot take. And Fisher King was great, too. So there's three right there. Brazil. Uh, Thailand was great. It was a cool movie. All right. Anyways. Um, <laughs> He was Terry, monkeys. Terry Gilliam was attached to both this and World Jones made at one time, so he was obviously a PKD fan. And we're yeah. not the only ones that think he should direct PKD movies. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, a lot of people thought he'd do pretty good. So, um, do you guys have any thoughts hey, on Hey David, the boring police is here for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Asshole. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, it's been a while since we've had the sirens like that. Since they moved the, uh, they moved the. Well, that guy's the, really cranking it. Since they finished the firehouse down the street. <laughs> All right. So, how would you do? And who who would you hire to make uh, time out of joint? And how would you write this as a movie? Now, Terry Gilliam and the writer of the Watchmen movie. Well, they already tried that, and it didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't the writer of the Watchmen movie. Sam Hamm wrote the Batman movie, and he wrote a script for Watchmen that was never produced. Uh, then then I'd have the actual wizard, Alan Moore, write it. <laughs> Is he high wizard now? or It doesn't he's matter. He's fucking high. He's, on a, different, he's he, on a different level, Larry. If Alan Moore wrote the script for Time Out of Joint, it'd be like a million pages long. That's probably, yeah, that's probably true. Does anybody want to go first on what they would do for a movie? Of I thought Larry just did. Are you serious? <laughs> Is that really no. your, your take? No. Okay, give us a serious take here, bud. Uh, I have not thought about this at all, as I never do. So, time. who did Pleasantville? Oh. Whoever did Pleasantville, that's who I want to direct it. Here, um, keep talking about what would you do with the story, though? Well... Would you would, make any major changes to the story? I, honestly, I don't think I would. I, I mean, there's stuff I would take out and there's stuff I would emphasize. But what? other than that, I, I think it would generally follow this this book step by step. Gary Ross did Pleasantville. Gary Ross. Shout out to Gary Ross. Yeah, whoever that is, you made one hell of a movie in Pleasantville. He also wrote the screenplays for Ocean's 8, um, Seabiscuit. I haven't seen it. <laughs> and, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, Big. He wrote Big. Wow. The movie Big. Yeah, so. that is the right guy for this movie. <laughs> um, not for me, but I. the big question for me is, do you – if you were to make a movie of Time Out of Joint right now, would you set it in 1959 and this fake 1997, or would you set the um, Rival oh. Gun part in 2018 and then push ahead, like, to, I don't know, to 2050? And I think I would do mm -hmm. it in 2018, 
and kind of push it ahead so you could do the reveal. And I would try to to really punch up the points where you try to make people think it's a, a time slip story. Mm-hmm. And I would really push those elements and maybe have a little bit more with the future war, not necessarily do it with the moon because that's kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it could be space stations. It could be orbital, anythings. I don't think I would be super faithful to that aspect of it. But I'd be that, super faithful to the punk future kids. Yeah. I would be super faithful to, like, the whole city being constructed around Raggle Gum and his mission and how he plays a, a role in the war and do that and kind of do it the future. But as far as director goes, I didn't really have a director. I just had a, a vision of, like, how I would, you know, kind of write the screenplay. What but, else is new? <laughs> So you're the I, director. I got it, dude. I got it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to direct it. I would want somebody else to direct it. But um and potentially You're just the writer and the producer. <laughs> and the creative consultant, the editor, <laughs> the casting I, agent. I didn't cast anybody. I, I think Larry, you had casting in mind, but I did. Yeah. I, as far as I guess with director, I would want to probably do somebody I don't know. I I would like to have somebody. No, I don't know. Just somebody with a visual style that's going to make the the world of the future parts um, really distinctive. That's all. Um, but I'd be more worried about making sure the story worked. Cool. Anthony, director for me for this would be David Lynch. Mm. I would set the script in the fifties and just keep it and have the alternate future of what nineteen ninety eight ninety seven. Yeah. Um, and the reason I want to pick David Lynch is because if you look at some of his earlier movies like Blue Velvet or even Mulholland Drive, he's really good at making them they're making it seem like there's something very off about a typical mundane scene. Yeah, even Twin Peaks. Is and like yeah, and watching kind of the surreal stuff unfold through the eyes of Raggle Gum, I think really would play to Lynch's strong suits as a director and a storyteller. Yeah, he would do really good with that. And I and I, I really want to see the pharmacy scene directed by him. I don't know why. <laughs> but that would he be... Has a, he has a really unit. good eye for for making the mundane interesting. And, and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think I, because of that, I don't think I would change anything script-wise for the story. I kind of would want it to unfold... As it's moving along, I, I would say I would only probably focus on Raggle's POV, though. Right. Yeah. And, and that's... Oh, yeah, definitely. Cut, I, I think cut the fat of the other characters in yeah. the film. You'd, you'd really want to... But I would want yeah. most of the focus to be on his unraveling of the fake reality. So in Anthony's version, uh, it starts in 1959 and then goes to... Would, would, would you want to make it in a 1998 that looks relatively similar to the 1998 that happened but with a with but with, with the some war? kind of war with, i think at that point if we're talking that there's been a future war it could be 1998 and you could still make it look futury but but i mean i would have no problem changing the dates we could yeah, always you, set it in 1959 and then and, and then make then, the future whenever the future yeah is. whenever you can yeah you can and have Manhattan the fake 1959 <laughs> reality and then move it all the way into the future it's not a big right. deal <laughs> manhattan's a prison <laughs> 
Oh, man, you look angry. I'm just making an Escape from New York joke, dude. It's 1997. I know. <laughs> really, I love Escape from New York. I'm not talking shit Escape from New York. I like Snake Bliskin. Anyways. Um, In the Duke of New York, A number one. A number right? one. Yeah, I think Time Out of Joint actually would make an excellent film, and I'm surprised it hasn't been made. Um, I think the story is compact enough that if you focus on Raglegum and do that, I think maybe Truman Show took a little steam out of it, because, mm-hmm. um, which sucks because Truman Show is is an okay movie, but it, it Truman um, Show is a great movie, but it doesn't it doesn't have the punch that this does as far as the similar concept and. Unfortunately, if you did Time Out of Joint now, you just be people would just say, "Oh, it's just like the Truman Show." Who cares? They even recycle everything now. Even though call it the Truman Show too. Who yeah, gives a shit? I know, but it's the same kind of thing of like when um, Sir of Echoes came out and people were like, "It's a ripoff of Sixth Sense," right? <laughs> even though the novel was like from the nineteen fifty seven way before. Yeah, <laughs> which was unfortunate, but that just happens. But yeah, Time Out of Joint, um, I think would make a great movie. So. Okay, I think we're actually getting to the end of this. What's that? I would cast Anna de Arma. What's our next book? Oh, our next book is Dr. Futurity. Mm. Um, but before we do that, we're going to do another movie episode, and we're going to do the Dimension Films, Gary Sinise joint. Uh, You're the only one that's ever said a Gary Sinise joint. Right. Well, actually, Gary Sinise did direct Of Mice and Men, so he has directed before. Not my favorite version of Of Mice and Men, though. No. I like the uh, the Beretta, Randy Quaid version. Oh, really? Yeah, that that is good. I I actually didn't mind the Gary Sinise one because I thought John Malkovich was really good. Right. I thought Sinise was kind of annoying. Yeah. Well, he was doing double duty, you know. But uh, so in po- our next episode, we have some interviews that are coming out. I'm, so I'm not entirely sure of the order, but the next one's a, the next official episode that we're recording is Imposter for Story versus Film, and then we're going to do Doctor Futurity. Anthony, can you tell us about Doctor Futurity? Yes, David, I can tell you about Doctor Futurity. In a future where death is embraced, a time-traveling doctor is the only one who can save a wounded resistance leader. When Dr. Jim Parsons wakes up from a car accident, he finds himself in a future populated almost entirely by the young. But to keep the world run by the young, death is fetishized and those who survive to old age are put down. In such a world, Parsons, with his innate desire to save lives, is a criminal and outcast. But for one revolutionary group, he may be just the savior they need to heal and revive their cryogenically frozen leader. And when he and the group journey to 1500s California, what they find causes them to question what they know about history and the underpinnings of their society. With the jarring immediacy of a car crash, Philip K. Dick throws both the reader and protagonist of Dr. Futurity into a bizarre future where healing is a crime and youth rules. So we're reading the remake of Logan's Run. Wow. Um, this was I probably before Logan's Run, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, it was. I was being sassy. Yeah. So, sassy, anyone? Uh, we're kind of, in, in, in PKD terms, we're going backwards with the next two books, our ones that he wrote very early on. And it sounds pretty bonkers. Um, yeah, man, a future where the youth rules, that sounds obnoxious. Everybody would have Snapchat dog filters on their face. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, so Dr. Futurity is, is the next one. I'll 
probably be reading it soon. But yeah, looking forward to it. Anything else you guys want to say before we close this one out? <laughs> I think, nope. I think we're uh, we're on the we're on the twitters and the and the instagrams, instagrams. and the facebooks and the facebooks where no one ever interacts with us. <laughs> Hashtag pity party. Wow. Wow, that does really sound. I mean, people interact with me about this. They don't podcast. talk. They don't talk to you guys too. Yeah, all no, those but- people. Everyone on all those formats, they're all, all like, them. Langhorn, let's hang out. And I'm like, dude, I'm dude, busy. I got to break down the story. <laughs> all right. Well, this I got to is... work on my story breakdowns. Yeah. Which, which I don't. Which, yeah. You put a bunch of time into it, right? Oh, don't, yeah. Don't give away the illusion. Just like the notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, time out of joint. Yeah, let's get back to reality here. So keep it paranoid, everybody. Stay? Is it supposed to be stay or keep? It's keep it paranoid. Keep stay it. paranoid? Now keep. I don't know. What it's future keep. is this? <laughs> keep it paranoid, I think. Good night. <laughs>